18, Proverbs chapter 18. Today is our friend day. And if you're here as a guest, then somebody cared enough about you to invite you to church as their friend today. And I'm glad you're here. Proverbs chapter 18. And by the way, I'll mention this. I was going to mention this a little bit earlier, um, but uh, a lot of the biffles are gone today. Aiden and Andrew are here. They drove here themselves this morning, but uh, Julie is very, very close to having that baby, so uh, just be praying for her. Um, and uh, one of the things that we always do and, and that we want to make sure that we do for her as well is uh, we'll get a list together of some ladies that can make some meals for them over the next couple uh, days and maybe next couple weeks, actually, and just kind of help them out. It's a lot. It's a lot when you end up in the hospital or when you have a baby or something like that, and so uh, we want to make sure that we help them out if we can. So uh, check with my wife if you, if you can help out with that, and uh, we'll get a list together of all those that will be able to, to help take care of that. But it's always exciting when somebody's ready to have a baby. I remember what it was like for us, and I'm glad, I'm glad we're past that, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad to be out of the diapers and all of those things. But it was exciting when we were in it. I mean, hey, I got to, I got to take a couple days off of work and go to the hospital and eat the food and all that kind of stuff, and she did all the work. So, I mean, how can it get any better than that? But... Um, Anyway, glad you're here this morning. I, I have a simple message for you, but I think one that's very profound, of course, because it comes from the Word of God. And I just want to look at one verse. We'll look at a, a good number of verses this morning, as we often do. But one verse that we'll use as a, kind of a jumping off point is found there in verse number 24, the last verse in chapter 18 of Proverbs. It says this, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Now, the second part of the verse is the one that I want to focus on this morning. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine that we see throughout the entire Bible, uh, but especially there in the New Testament, and of course, I'm talking about Jesus Christ, and he's, a, he's the greatest friend that you can ever have. We'll look at a few verses this morning, but before we do that, let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for an opportunity we have to be in your house this morning. I pray that you would just help us to, uh, to have our hearts open, our minds open, to whatever it is that you want us to change, God. And as I prayed before, if there is somebody that does not know this friend, does not know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, that they'd come to know him today. Well, thank you for all you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing that I want you to see is this, and probably it's pretty obvious, uh, especially if you know anything about the New Testament, but number one is that Jesus is, not was, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Now, of course, he was when he was on this earth, but he still is a friend of sinners. Turn over, if you will, to Luke chapter 19. I'm going to get there in just a minute, but as you're turning over there, I want to read to you a verse in Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 19, and it says this, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Now, they meant that as a way to mock him. Right? Oh, this guy, he, he, cares about, he cares about the publicans. If you know anything about the publicans, they were known to be pretty, pretty wicked sinners. But obviously then just sinners. Jesus is a friend of publicans and sinners. How could a guy be like that? They meant it as a way to mock him. But if there was anything that characterized Jesus Christ throughout his earth, earthly ministry is that he was a friend to sinners. When we were in Israel, we went through and saw the quote-unquote uh, sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbed. Now, obviously, I have no idea how they would know which one it is, but it's a way to make a, make a little tourist place out of it. So they put, a, they put a fence around a tree and called it the Zacchaeus tree. I don't know if that's the one that he climbed or not, but Jesus saw Zacchaeus up there in that tree, and Zacchaeus was a publican. He was a sinner. He was well known for that. 
And Jesus said, hey, you come down from that tree. I'm going to your house today. And Jesus went to this man's house and sat there and talked with him. And Zacchaeus went away, a changed man, because he met Jesus Christ. They couldn't understand that. How can this man, how can Jesus be a friend to those sinners? But time forbids me to tell you of the story of the woman at the well in John 4. But what a story, a sinner of the basest sort, as we're told in the Bible. But Jesus saw her for who she was and told her of the living water that she could only find in him. And she was amazed that Jesus knew all these things about her and yet would still take the time to visit a Samaritan village, a Samaritan well. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They wouldn't go all the way around the city of Samaria to not have to go through it. And yet Jesus knew that this woman was going to be there at the well. And he stopped in Samaria and he spoke with this woman and he gave her that living water. But here we have the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 5. And the Bible says this, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must abide at thy house. Then he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him full fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. For so much as he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man is come not to be a good teacher, not to show us how to live, not to, 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 to give us some nice sayings and things that we could go back on or even to teach us how to pray. The Bible says the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Jesus Christ came. He came for the sinners. He came for the publicans. He came for me. He came for you. That's why Jesus came to this earth. And by the way, you notice that it wasn't this man's good works that saved him. It was the fact that he was willing to admit that he was a sinner. And his sin broke him. He realized what he had done to all those people for all of those years. And he repented of those sins and asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart and save him. I'm so glad that Jesus Christ came looking for me. I'm glad that he saw me for who I could be and not who I was. I'm glad that Jesus Christ came to be a guest of an old sinner like me, and he saved me, gave me eternal life and a home in heaven with him. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, you know the peace, you know the joy, you know the happiness that comes by knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that can only come from knowing Jesus Christ. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know him this morning. He wants to know you this morning as well. Jesus Christ is your friend, and he wants to save you. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. A lot of people have the mindset today that they're too messed up. They're too wicked of a sinner for Jesus Christ to ever want to save them. There are only two types of people in this world. There are saved sinners and there are lost sinners. It doesn't, just because I know Jesus Christ is my Savior doesn't make me perfect. It doesn't make me any better than you. And just because you may not know Jesus Christ is your Savior doesn't mean that you're beyond his reach. Jesus Christ wants to save you the same way that he saved me and the same way that he saved countless other people in this, in this world uh, that have already died and, and those that are still alive today. But the whole purpose of the ministry of Jesus Christ on this earth was to seek and to save sinners. That's who he came looking for. He's not running from you because of your lifestyle. Now, his heart is broken. He's actively pursuing you, but he loves you. Can I tell you how you can know for sure that you can go to heaven when you die? 
Certainly not by doing all the good that we can. There's a lot of people that have this mindset that one of these days we're going to stand before God and he's going to take all of our good works and put them on one side of the scale and take all of our bad works and put them on the other side of the scale. And if our good works outweigh our bad works, then he's going to say, oh, you barely made it, but come on in. And now I get to heaven and I say, uh, well, I'm here because of all the good works that I did. Because if I had just done a few more bad or maybe a few less good, I wouldn't be here, but I did enough good to get myself into heaven. Well, I'm there because of me. What, look, what does the Bible say there in Ephesians chapter 2? Verse number 8, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And what does verse 9 say? Not of works, lest any man should boast. It's certainly not by trying hard to live a clean life. We ought to. But it's not because of that. It's not by being baptized. It's not by joining a church. It's not by giving our money. It's not by any of those other things. It's only by what Jesus Christ did for us when he died on the cross. So when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be able to walk through heaven boasting of being there because of all the good that I've done. The only way that I can admit that I'm in heaven is because of what Jesus Christ did for me. I'm not there because of me. I'm there because of him. It doesn't have anything to do with me. So I read a quote that said this, money will buy a bed but not sleep. Books, but not brains. Food, but not appetite. Finery, but not beauty. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Luxuries, but not culture. Amusements, but not happiness. Religion, but not salvation. A passport to everywhere but heaven. See, it's only through Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, and through him alone. If we could earn our way to heaven, then why did Jesus Christ even have to die on the cross? He didn't have to come. If, if, if I could work my way there, then why did he die? If it, was, if it was him, a little bit of what he did for me, plus all of the good works that I do, then Jesus Christ didn't even need to die on the cross. If I could work my way there, but I had to have somebody that took my place and paid for those sins in my place. His death was for nothing if I don't need to get him to heaven. No, he died on the cross to be the payment for my sin. The Bible calls it the propitiation. And I know that's a long, hard word to understand, but it literally means the payment for your sin. He died on the cross because I could never pay that debt. There's nothing that I can do that would wash my sins away. And sometimes people have the idea that they can go get baptized and that baptism is washing away those sins. That's just water. That can't do anything special for you. There's no, there's no holy water. Nobody can pray and make water holy. Only Jesus Christ can save you. Only Jesus Christ can wash those sins away. We're, we're made very clear of that in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I, I, I'm a sinner. That means I come short of the glory of God. That's every, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means no matter how hard I try, no matter how much good I do, if I have one sin that's listed to my account, that's enough to keep me out of heaven. God can't look on sin. God's absolutely holy. Not only will he not sin himself, he can't even look on it. So if I have one, if I've ever told a lie, even a little white lie, if I've ever stolen something, if I've ever cheated, if I've ever disobeyed my parents, if I've ever had uh, a disrespect for somebody, if I've ever rebelled, if I've ever uh, thought wrong thoughts, I mean, the list could go on and on and on with all the things that we could possibly do. And if I even have one of those to my account, then I can't get into heaven. I fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. 
That means I'm going to die and spend an eternity in hell. And that's a morbid thought. A lot of people today are denying the existence of hell because, well, a good God wouldn't send somebody to hell. No, a good God is absolutely holy, and sin has to be paid for somehow. And it's either through the blood of Jesus Christ, or you spend an eternity in hell to pay for those sins. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't have to spend eternity in hell. If you die and go to hell, you die and go to hell with your sins paid for. Jesus Christ already did the work. He already done everything that was ne- He's already done everything that was necessary for us to be able to get out of hell and get into heaven. We need to realize the fact that we are a sinner and it's our sin that is keeping us out of heaven. It's our sin that is condemning us to hell. And it's Jesus Christ that is giving us a way out by him dying on the cross. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, but God commendeth his love toward us. He gave us his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Could you imagine paying somebody's fine to help them get out of jail, and while you're in the middle of paying that fine, they're doing that same crime that you're paying the crime for them to get out of jail for? But that's what God did for us. Jesus Christ said, they were still sinning, and I died on the cross for them. Now, he died 2,000 years ago, and he rose from the dead. And that's what makes him different than anybody else in any other religion, so to speak. Jesus Christ is a living Savior. But the difference is this, Jesus Christ knew that one day I was going to come along, he knew that I was going to be a sinner, and he knew that I was going to be a savior, and his blood was so perfect, his death was so great, that he was able to cover all the sins, past, present, and future. And when he died on the cross, I was on his mind. And I have that choice to either accept or reject Jesus Christ as my savior. Every one of us is given that choice. Will you accept him or will you reject him? Because to not accept him is to reject him. In 1910, J. Wilbur Chapman, he was best known as a preacher, but he wrote the words to the song, Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. It's a song that we sing in our book all the time. But he wrote these words in the first verse, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul, friends may fail me, foes assail me, He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. I implore you this morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're not 100% sure that the moment you take your last breath on this earth, you'll take your first breath in heaven, then you need to get that settled today. Jesus Christ is your friend. He's a friend of sinners, but also number two. In fact, turn over to Psalm 23, a very familiar psalm to us. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole psalm this morning. But Jesus is a friend in the valley. Well, he's certainly a friend of sinners. But once you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, once your sins have been forgiven, then Jesus becomes your friend in the valley. I turn your attention there to one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible, Psalm 23. and verse number four, the Bible says this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Jesus is your friend in trials. There's no doubt that we're going to go through trials in this life. If you've made it through life with no trials, then I want to know how you did it. Because I'd like to be your friend. 
We all go through trials. There are situations that we're in right now maybe that feels a whole lot like a trial. There's a lot of people out of work, some people who are not being compensated for it, especially you know, all the way through the pandemic. And there's people who lost their jobs through that pandemic that still have not been able to get things back in order. There are others who, you know, they're, they're sick, they're worried uh, uh, whether it's the coronavirus or they're going to die. Or there's, there's a lot of things that worry us, a lot of trials that we go through. We always go through difficult, dark nights and difficult days, but I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is a friend in the valley. He's the one, of those, he, he's the one who walks through those dark valleys with us. He's been there. He went through the darkest valley anybody could ever face. He knows what it's like. Jesus took the sin of the entire world on him. And God, his father, turned his back on him. Talk about going through a dark valley. Jesus has been there. And that's why he can be a friend to us when we're there too. Turn over to Psalm 27, just a couple pages later. The Bible is filled with promises that Jesus Christ, a faithful one, will be with us in those trials. Psalm 27 and verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Turn, I'll have you look at a couple passages here in Psalms. Turn over to Psalm 34. Psalm 34 and verse number 17. Psalm 34, verse 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. A couple pages over in Psalm 46. I love this passage. I don't know if I can say that this is my favorite psalm, but it's, it's close. It's close because, of, boy, what a comfort this is. Verse number one, Psalm 46, one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolation he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. I'm not trying to belabor the point, but don't you see, Jesus Christ is the friend in the valley. We're admonished then in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. J. Wilbur Chapman continued with his song in the second verse. He said, Jesus, what a help in sorrow. While the billows o'er me roll, even when my heart is breaking, he, my comfort, helps my soul. Hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He's with me to the end. I want to show you another place where Jesus is a friend in trials. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 4, because he is your friend in temptations. 
as sure as we will all face trials, we're all going to face temptations. But there's good news there too. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15 says this, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That means more to some than others because some have honestly stopped fighting the temptation. But if you're still fighting against what the devil wants to do in your life, you can come boldly before the throne of grace. Any temptation ought to be an invitation to pray. The moment you feel tempted, you ought to be, you don't have to get down on your knees, but you ought to be in that, in that position. You ought to be in a praying position. No man is taller than when he's on his knees. And you want to get away from those temptations. Some look forward to temptation because they're ready to give in the moment that it rears its, its ugly head against you. But for those who fight it and those who are trying to be right with God, the fact that Jesus Christ has been there and is right there with us to help us fight those temptations is a great comfort. We went to the Judean wilderness where Jesus Christ was tempted of Satan. I looked at the pinnacle of the temple where the, where the devil took him and, and tempted him when he was at his weakest point. Jesus Christ knows what it's like to go through temptations. In fact, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13 is such an encouraging verse. Sometimes we feel like we're all alone in this battle. You're tempted to, 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 to do something wrong or say something wrong or go someplace wrong or any of those, any number of things that you face as temptations in your life. And sometimes we feel like there's no way that I can beat this temptation. There's no way that I can get through it. In fact, I'm probably the only one that's ever been tempted like this before. But the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He's with you in those temptations. J. Wilbur Chapman again continued with his song in the third verse, and he said, Jesus, what a strength in weakness. Let me hide myself in him. Tempted, tried, and often failing, he my strength. My victory wins. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He's with me to the end. The last thing I want to tell you this morning is this. Jesus is a friend to sinners. Jesus is a friend in the valley. And lastly, Jesus is a friend to those who follow him. Turn over to James chapter 4, if you will. James chapter 4 and verse number 4 says this, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Well, I think we can safely say that the opposite of that is true as well. Whosoever will be an enemy of the world is a friend of God. You have to be in this world. It's not like you can go live on Mars somewhere, but you don't have to be of this world. And that's how we ought to live our lives, in it, but not of it. We cannot love the sin of the world and love God at the same time. Edwin Cooper was famous across America, but almost nobody knew his real name. Uh, he came from a family of, of circus clowns. And uh, he, was, he actually began, began performing before audiences when he was nine years old. He did a little stint with the Barnum and Bailey Circus. 
He became a fixture on televisions in the 1950s as Bozo the Clown. Anybody remember Bozo the Clown? Uh, he was, he, that's how he was known. But in addition to entertaining people, old and young, <clears throat> he had a message for his buddies and partners every week. Get checked for cancer. That's what he used to tell them. Now, I wasn't alive in the 1950s, so I don't know if that's true or not. I read the story about this. But Cooper was so busy working that he neglected to follow his own advice. And by the time the cancer was discovered in his own body, it was too late for him to be treated. And he died at 41 years old from a disease that he had warned so many other people to watch out for. What the irony in that, but sin is a far more deadly thing than the most aggressive and fast-growing cancer. Sin kills and destroys everything it touches. You, you look at, uh, from, from the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden until now, sin takes no prisoners. And that's, that's the purpose behind everything that Satan does. Jesus said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. Because of his evil nature and his hatred for everything good, the devil brings destruction to everything within his reach. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. See, when, when we regard sin as God does, we find nothing amusing or humorous about it. There is no, there is no joking about sin we're not going to make, make it the subject of jokes that we tell or we hear. We're not going to allow ourselves to be tempted to get a little closer to the line and see if we can still be safe. God hates sin with a holy and a righteous fury, and so should we. When, when we find ourselves amused by sin, it's time for us to put our focus back on the cross. Our sin is what made Jesus Christ have to die on the cross. And I can promise you that as he was hanging there, after he'd been uh, whipped and beaten and tortured and the crown of thorns placed on his head and his beard ripped out and he'd been spit on and being slapped. And when he was thirsty, they gave him vinegar to drink. And I can imagine how that, that vinegar must have just burned the, the, the open wounds on his body. There was nothing funny about sin as Jesus hung there on the cross. And yet we take it so lightly so often. Seeing the price that was paid for our sins reminds us, or at least it should, that it's no laughing matter. We're done, so I'm not going to take time to read many verses in the Bible that speak of the blessings that come for those who follow God with all their heart. But I do want you to look at one last verse in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 16. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore? God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. I'm sure you're like me. I want to be a friend of Jesus Christ. Twice we're given that description of Abraham, once in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament, that he was a friend of God. What a, what a description. Could you imagine having that written on your tombstone? Here lies a friend of God. That's, what God, that's essentially the epitaph that God gave Abraham. There's no doubt that Jesus is a friend to those who follow his commandments. By the time J. Wilbur Chapman, at 51 years old, was writing his hymn in 1910, he had experienced his share of heartaches, but he also felt happiness and satisfaction many times over. His first two wives and an infant son had died within the space of 21 years. He was a widower with four children in 1907. But his evangelism focus and, and partnership with others in the early 20th century throughout all of North America, throughout Asia, 
converted thousands of people to Christianity. And J. Wilbur Chapman's collaboration and leadership with scores of evangelism teams in Philadelphia supposedly and, and reportedly brought over 8,000 people to know Jesus Christ as their Savior in that time that they were doing that. What a contrast and experience for Chapman. Deaths that were so close to his heart. Two wives, an infant son. But also the exhilaration of seeing thousands of people being reborn, coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And it was in this period following the death of his second wife in 1907 that he wrote two hymns in 1908 and 1909. And then perhaps as Chapman prepared to marry for a third time in 1910, he composed this hymn about his friend Jesus. What it must have been like to look back over 51 years and see the valleys and see the mountaintops and reflect on traveling from one end of the globe to the other. If ever anyone needed a friend, J. Wilbur Chapman must have seen and felt himself, felt, felt for himself the hurts and the pain and the heartache, but he also must have felt what a close friend Jesus Christ really is. Many of these same people probably had come through difficult episodes to meet and trust Jesus Christ, but these are the words that he wrote in the last verse. Jesus, I do now receive him. More than all in him I find. He has granted me forgiveness. I am his and he is mine. Hallelujah, what a savior, he wrote. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He's with me to the end. Proverbs 18 tells us that we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That friend is Jesus. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He stands at the door of our hearts and knocks. He says, if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll sup with him and he with me. I'll be his friend. No one is too good. No one's too bad. He made that very clear in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. The last I checked, everybody still lives in the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, anybody believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is a friend to sinners, but he's a friend in the valley. He'll walk us through those trials. He'll help us through those temptations. And he's a friend to those who follow him. Now, Jesus loves us no matter what. He loves us unconditionally, but for all he's done for me, I certainly want to love him back. And I want to be able to prove that I do. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know the Jesus that I know? If there's never been a time when you realized for yourself that my sin is what made Jesus Christ have to die on the cross, and you ask him, you'll never be perfect. You don't have to, you don't have to uh, stop sinning. No, we ought to be trying to. That's what sanctification is all about. But we're never going to be able to stop sinning completely. But repentance is realizing that my sin is what made Jesus Christ have to die on the cross. And Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for that sin. Will you please come into my heart and forgive me and save me? And you know what? He will. He will. That's the Jesus Christ that I know. That's the friend of sinners that I know. Once you become his, he walks with you through those valleys. He walks with you through those temptations. And we ought to be doing everything we can with our lives to try to live for him because he is such a friend to us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you for being a friend to me. 
I'm so thankful that I was able to accept Jesus Christ at a young age and that I was protected from so many things that could have happened in my life that you saved me from instead of having to save me out of them. But there are many, many people who have lived a life for themselves. They lived a life away from Jesus Christ and that you love them anyway. You still call them anyway. And God, I do pray as I prayed earlier this morning that if there is anybody that does not know Jesus Christ as their own Savior, does not know that friend that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'd help them to respond in the message this morning. You'd come forward and have somebody take a Bible and show them how they can know for sure that they can go to heaven. What a shame it would be to hear a message on how they can be saved and not respond to it. So God, I pray that you'd just work on hearts this morning. And God, I pray that you'd help us when we're going through those trials to rely on you Pray that you'd help us when we're going through those temptations to rely on you. Pray that you'd help us to follow your commandments and live as closely to the word of God as we can and be a friend to you the same way that you are to us. God, I pray that you work on our hearts this morning. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We're not going to have a long invitation this morning, but the piano is going to play and I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the message. If God's spoken to your heart. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't wait. You're not promised tomorrow. Proverbs tells us, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You could walk out of here this morning and never step foot in here again because you don't live long enough to do it. I don't know. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to help you realize and help you understand, hey, you may not get another chance. I'll do it later. That's what the devil wants you to think. He'll, he'll tell you this morning, you know what? That's exactly what you need to do. You need to be saved, but just do it later. There may not be a later. There may not be another opportunity. And that's the opportunity that I'm giving you this morning. I'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you'll go to heaven when you die. And if that's you, then in just a minute, as the piano plays, won't you step out and come forward? But perhaps you've abandoned God, though he'd never abandoned you. And you've forgotten to be a friend to him the same way that he's a friend to you. Maybe you need to get some things right with him this morning. If that's the case, then don't wait to get those things right either. We only need to be saved once. We have that eternal security. Once we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, we can never lose that salvation, but we can lose our fellowship. And that's why we need to confess those sins before him. Get it right so we can move on. And if that's what you need to do this morning, then please do it. Don't, don't live another day defeated. As the piano plays this morning, God's spoken to your heart. If you need to be saved, you come forward as the piano plays.